Today, we're talking to Sheila Waisaki, roommate and close friend of Angie Samoda. In 1984, Angie was murdered in her apartment, but there is so much more to her life. This is their stories. I'm good. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you doing the podcast. I'm so happy that you're here. How did you and Angie meet? Well, we actually were thrown together back in the days when we went to college. We had what was called potluck and you just got whoever you got. So I wasn't going to college with people I knew and she was a year ahead and I was a year behind. Mm -hmm. So we got put together. So you were just random roommates in college? We were random roommates. I don't think so random in the big picture, but at that time it was random. Yeah. And did you, were you guys like, did you become close after that? Because that can no. be messy. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, not at first. Was, I mean, a lot of adjustments, mm-hmm. you know, Angie, of course, she came from a wealthy family. You know, we went to Southern Methodist University. So they're historically people that go there have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I, however, did not. So mm-hmm. I was on a scholarship and she had unbelievable clothes. I really? mean, <laughs> clothes, shoes, clothes, great taste. Okay. And back then we were sort of the same size, not always, but sort of. So that was a good thing. But yeah, I came with five Mexican dresses in all different colors and that was my wardrobe. <laughs> I feel that. So she let you, so you borrowed some of her clothes and like went out on the town and stuff? Every once in a while, you know, if something came up, she would let me borrow something. She was actually very, very generous. When we first got into roommates, you know, there was a lot of adjustments Mm -hmm. and she was so outgoing and bubbly and I'm kind of sit back and wait Mm -hmm. and watch. She is, it was, life was hers and she enjoyed it. Um, And so she made friends fast, she, you know, played fast, and then she worked extremely hard. That's awesome. And what was, what was Angie like as a friend? Like, how would you describe her? Generous. Mm -hmm. She, so she worked at, and one of the cute little shops in the area, Angie worked there Mm part-time. And even though, you know, she had an allowance and had money coming in, she earned her own money. So I can't remember the name of the shop. I can remember where it was, but she would come home with little, you know, note cards or something like that and say, oh, I got this. So she was generous in that way. She was very generous to her long-term friends back in Amarillo. Okay, great. Yeah. So like if you guys were all out, was she like goofy? Did she like crack a lot of jokes? And She was goofy. I mean, not in a bad way. In a really good way. She was inclusive, Mm -hmm. which was, I learned that from her. She would include people when other people wouldn't. Mm -hmm. She wasn't stuck up. She had a car. which was nice so she could run someone anywhere and she let me use it at you know certain times but she she was 
besides generous, she was goofy and vivacious mm-hmm. and silly and just, and she was cute and really, really smart. Do you know what her major was? Computer science and engineering. Wow. That's a male dominated field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was, you know, it was funny because she would come in talking about her classes. And mm-hmm. so the, it would be like, six guys and Angie and a, another one of her friends, Anita, the other girl, the other girl in the <laughs> right. department. Mm-hmm. And so Angie got a lot of flowers and was asked out on dates. I mean, she just, she was, and she was nice and kind, even if she didn't want to go out with a guy, mm-hmm. she was so nice to him. Mm-hmm. So she didn't, it didn't really bother her. Like she, did she like enjoy that major? Yes, she enjoyed the major and she enjoyed the attention. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't? I, right. I get it. <laughs> Are there any like specific funny or important memories of Angie that you'd like to share? I have a million memories, but, you know, I talk about it because it was such a thing to do back in the 80s. That tells you how old I am. <laughs> but in the 80s, we used to have a force that's still there in Dallas, Forest Lane. And so you would drive up and down Forest Lane, and that's where you picked up boys and stuff like that. Well, she had the (laughs) coolest car, first of all. And you would go in front of the all-girls school, and you would drive up and down, and then you get to the end, you turn around, and you go back. And you do that all night until you saw some guys that you wanted to talk to. And one particular night we were doing that and it w- we were laughing so much. And it was just back then, you didn't have phones, mm-hmm. you didn't have anything. You just had to kind of yell out to a boy or pull over. It was just good, clean fun. And then you go mm-hmm. into a 7-Eleven and talk to him. Or sometimes Angie would act like she's going to and then drive away. And I mean, it's just silly that's, stuff like that. Isn't that mean? I love that. No, it. that's so funny. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, those were great times and such simpler times. Yeah, definitely. Is that, what other things would you and Angie do for fun? Or was that the main, like? Well, back then, disco was really, really big. Mm-hmm. So one thing Angie was part of was, She had a group of friends and then I had a group of friends. They weren't always connected, but we all knew each other. So we would go to different dance places. And one was like, there were different ones. Everything ended in O, like Tango, Rio, I mean, (laughs) all of them. So back in the 80s, they were real inventive. So we would go disco dancing and that still to this day is the funnest thing I think anybody can do is just go out, dance. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you would drink some back then. It was 18, Mm -hmm. not a lot. Nobody got so drunk they couldn't, you know, focus. And then you go home. It was just a lot of fun. Did y'all wear the the disco outfits of the time or were you more (laughs) low-key? No, of course we wore the outfits. Madonna was coming up back then, Uh so the material girl. Um, like a virgin and all the stuff that went with it. Big hair. You had the big hair too. Everybody. (laughs) 
there. I think you weren't allowed into any disco without big hair back then. So I love that. <laughs> what would you say Angie was most proud of or like their proudest moment? I'm not sure. I mean, I know her accomplishments at school. She did extremely well in Hockaday. She went to Hockaday. So she did very well in Hockaday. I think I, the thing that I admired, she had great ethics. Okay. So, which is not always, not everybody has great ethics, you'll find. Especially so, young. It's hard. Oh, she was very honest. Mm-hmm. She was very ethical and she worked really, really hard. That's, yeah, definitely <laughs> something to be proud of for sure. Mm-hmm. And we kind of touched on this a little bit, but what was her likes and dislikes in terms of like music, movies, TV shows? Oh, gosh. We didn't watch TV back then because we didn't have one in the room. (laughs) Wow. So back in our day, we had dorm rooms and then there was like a common area and MTV was just starting. TV. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so you would pass it to go up to your room. And I mean, people just watched it nonstop, but that wasn't, I never saw it. Well, once in a blue moon, maybe she'd be down there, but not on a regular basis because she took hard classes. Okay. So she was mostly focused on studying and, and disco. <laughs> <laughs> In her career, one of the places, oh, I just remember this. One of the places we used to go to is the Boardwalk Beach Club, which was the coolest place because they had, we thought, sand on the ground. Nowadays, I'd be like disgusted. (laughs) But back then, you would go and you would dance and they they had beach balls that you would, you know, hit while you're dancing. It was 80s disco also, but it was more like Beach Boys. stuff like that. It was like fun and themed. It was fun. That's awesome. And what was her family life like? Was she super close with her family? Did she have any siblings? She did have siblings. She was the youngest of five, maybe six. Now I can't remember. So she was the youngest. (laughs) So that if I'm leaving somebody out or there was a not big family. Yeah. So, but she was the glue to the family. Okay. So she was the one who kept everybody together and talked to all of them. Of course, she was a talker and a communicator. So she talked to all of them and her sisters would come into town and take her out to go shopping. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Back with some really cool clothes or, you know, they go and have dinner. That's awesome. So she was sort of like the mediator, just kind of I get that. There's always one in the family. I have a lot of siblings too. How many? I, this is actually weird, but I am a twin and then my younger brothers are twins. Oh, nice. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's a lot definitely, but we're, we're all very close in age, obviously, and like very tight knit. And I, I would say I'm probably the one that communicates with everyone and tries to keep everyone in the loop, but Yeah, I think that was Angie. She was the one who kept everybody in the loop. (laughs) Did she have any like passions like other than her major or or I guess shopping or like funny talents (laughs) hidden or otherwise? Uh, (laughs) 
she worked so hard. She was such a hard worker. Mm -hmm. She was the social director for her sorority. Wow. So she was in charge of, she went through the pledge period and then became the social director, which was perfect for her. Mm -hmm. So she was putting uh, parties together with other fraternities and, you know, doing mixers and just isn't that the perfect job for someone who likes to communicate yeah who sounds like super outgoing and can bring anybody in that sounds so yeah. perfect so she she planned all the parties for her sorority she did she did <laughs> that's yeah that's impressive that's definitely a lot of work <laughs> a lot of work yes did they have any pets she had a cat when she moved into her apartment i don't really think about that period but she did have a cat, and I'm not sure if it was a stray cat, but she had a cat. Do you remember the cat's name, or is that too, like, no, <laughs> too long ago? That's fair, no. definitely. No. <laughs> is there anything important specifically that you'd want people to know about Angie? So I think this is interesting. Angie was a boarder, so she boarded for school. Okay. And she, her family lived in Amarillo. And she went to Hockaday, which is a boarding school. And so think about that. Every day she'd wake up, she'd go to school and then work on her, you know, schooling or her job. But um, she would go home sometimes, but not like, you know, other day people who went home every night. So she was like wildly like independent? Hugely independent. (laughs) You didn't have to ask her twice to do anything. Yeah, she sounds awesome. I mean, she sounds like the best person to have in a friend group because you can just kind of relax and she can just bring everybody. That's the type of person I need. Because <laughs> <Like>, <laughs> sometimes until like I have a drink or two, I'm definitely a little bit more on the shy side. Well, and one of the things, so we, she and I lived together and then in the summertime, she moved to an apartment mm-hmm. and she would have little mixers for her sorority and I wasn't in a sorority. So she would invite me to the mixers again, inclusive, bringing people in, trying to have people meet each other. I mean, she's just, it's a kind thing to do. That's kind of lost these days. Yeah, definitely. People don't seem to, to notice that the other people around them as much for sure so right yeah that's I mean again like you said just how ethical she was and she sounds like she really cared about everyone no matter how much she knew them that's awesome that's so cool I'm sorry (laughs) these are just I mean she was a great person it's such I think about it a lot you Mm -hmm. know especially when I do interviews of what could have been you know what could have been today, how the world would have been a better place had she lived and what she could have done in her field and how she could have, you know, pioneered something. But that, you know, of course, was lost by somebody who decided to take her life. So those little things that I think back to are great memories, but I wish they weren't just memories. I wish we had a long-term relationship and kids that we would talk about or husbands. Right, yeah. That's the thing with this podcast just in general is like, it's weird how it feels like it's always like the brightest person in the room that's affected by these things. I I don't know what it is. It's always the person that was willing to do the most, you know, so that's. So I have, I do have a theory though, since I work with so many families, Mm -hmm. you know, 
when someone passes, of course, they elevate into who they are, you know, sainthood. Mm -hmm. That just happens because they're important to you. Mm -hmm. But there are certain qualities like how outgoing Angie was, her smile, how she did light up a room, how smart she was, you know, those things that were taken, Mm -hmm. but it's true. She was all those things. Yeah. A hundred percent. I believe it. And just from the the stories I've read and what, what I've heard on other podcasts, like it does sound like she would just walk into a room and know everybody. Time she left, she did. (laughs) (laughs) And that's so great. (laughs) I will tell you one of the coolest stories of unfortunately it's about her death, but it's how many people Angie touched after she died too, was Mm -hmm. the, first of all, the jurors. I met all the jurors afterwards. Mm -hmm. And so we got to sit down and do what we're doing, just kind of talk about fun moments that we shared. And what people don't realize is when you do a jury, when you're in a jury, you see these horrific pictures and you hear the horrific stories. And then afterwards you're like, what about the person? You know, was she? And so we all met for lunch and we sat there and talked about, we talked about the trial and, you know, what impressed them as far as making their decision and also um, what, what their impressions were of Angie. And the problem going through that is, you know, a defense team just trashes somebody. So her friendliness was talked about as she was a tease and her outgoingness, you know, was a negative. Whereas that's actually not true. Mm -hmm. Her friendliness is what made her a human being to reach out to people that maybe nobody would pay attention to. So that was interesting. But the thing that happened I want to say a couple of years ago was the first responder on the scene. It was a male police officer and a black female police officer. Well, the, the, the female police officer and I have been friends for, I don't even know, (laughs) but she was the same age as Angie when she died and she never got over it. Yeah. And she and I became friends. But the interesting thing is the male police officer who was what I call a beat cop. He wasn't a detective. He Mm -hmm. was the person who found her. His son reached out to me and said, I want to talk to you about Angie. Wow. 30 years later, I'm talking to the son of the first responder, and he's telling me the stories from his father that it that impression of her that day carried through his entire life. He's now 30 years old. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's that is impressive. And um, did the jury kind of see through the defense? Were they like, that's not. <laughs> That's terrible. The defense had two (sighs) males and a female and it was not, the jury was fantastic, but it's easy to see through that. I mean, but it's so sad that the victim is victimized again. It really blows my mind. The things they're willing to just kind of fabricate to, to make someone that's so clearly like sometimes it's iffy and you're like i don't know but like when it's so clearly wrong it was interesting sitting in the courtroom watching the defense Mm -hmm. just take a human being and falsify everything about her 
but that's our system. And I always look at it. Did that help his defense? I don't know. He was convicted. He's on death row. So probably not. Mm -hmm. And all it did is take a another a victim and just smash her. Yeah. In front of everyone who's ever cared about her, which is just right. Right. Awful. Hopefully this will be an, another place where people can hear Angie's story. And it's like, she was great and awesome. And she wasn't a tease or like leading people on. She was just fun and friendly, friendly. Yeah. And inclusive, which we don't have anymore. You don't have people walking into a room and seeing somebody standing over there and saying, come on, you know, join us. Mm-hmm. You know, there are very few people that do that. And she was a pioneer for it, believe me. <laughs> everybody knew everybody, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking about Angie. I really appreciate it. Thank you for asking. Like I said, anytime I can, I, I'd love to, because her life was worth celebrating. I did want to talk to you about also your, your part in this story. What started you on your journey to become a private investigator? So I talk about, first of all, I believe that if you've had someone pass, there are messages that come through. Mm So um, I was doing a Bible study and the message came through loud and clear through Angie that it was time. And I reached out and called the Dallas Police Department, who immediately blew me off. (laughs) Of course. And then I kept persisting on trying to get them to open the case because I knew all the players from back in the 80s. Right. So was it like a dream? Or did you just feel it like in your heart? You just knew. No, I was doing a Bible study, Mm -hmm. a Beth Moore Bible study on Daniel. And I was leaning back in my bed and depending on your analysis on what you're comfortable with, I know I looked up and saw Angie, whether I was dozing Mm -hmm. or just that was her. Wow. And it was only a, a second or two, but I knew at that exact moment I reached over and picked up my phone. That's so amazing because not only are you have you helped Angie, you're you're helping more families today. So it was def it definitely sounds like it was a calling for you. Not to like kind of put that on you, but that's so yeah, it's impressive. my purpose. Yeah. Um, what do you think has been your biggest struggle with with the with Angie's case and also the cases that you work on now? See, well, the biggest struggle is to get somebody to hear you, to Mm -hmm. hear that you want to know about a case, that you want them to work the case, to give you documents, to go through and see what they missed back 30 years ago or 25 years ago. So, and without egos, you know, you're asking somebody to look at their work and potentially they miss something. Right. But why not have a whole new set of eyes looking at it and helping? Mm-hmm. that's the biggest struggle for, for any of my cases now. And also back then they did not, even though they knew who I was, they were still working there. Yeah. They did not hear from me. <laughs> especially me. You know, I was the roommate. I wasn't right. anything, you know, I hadn't grown up. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, and can families 
like families of the victims do this work? Can they get the files? And no, no. Okay. Families. So if it's an open case, the police mm -hmm. will say it's open, but not active. That is code word. We're not opening it and we're not looking at it and you're not getting it. Wow. Okay. So what would be advice for any families say that feel like they're not that like, cause you've mentioned this before where maybe not the families that are vindictive because those definitely exist, but families just that feel in their hearts, there's more to the story. Is it to hire someone like you, a PI to dig in deeper? Well, a lot of the families can do it themselves. They can start at, you know, what is called freedom of information. Mm -hmm. They can FOIA some information and get the records. If they can't, then we have started in my cases, to teach them how to legally get the documents, wow. which unfortunately involves an attorney and sometimes suing the police department or just for the records. And there is precedent on some judges out there have been fantastic and said to the police, if you don't solve it in six months, you have to turn everything over to the family and then wow. the family will take it and there's been success. Wow, that's awesome. Do you yeah. do you think exposure helps in most cases when it comes 100%. to things like this? A hundred percent. Okay. 100%. So if you have a case that nobody knows about, mm -hmm. then you bring it to the media. Mm-hmm. And the media takes it because not all cases the media will take and runs with it. Your chances of getting it solved have just increased. Wow. That's, yeah, that's so impressive. That's, again, I don't mean to like keep fangirling, just like, I feel like after hearing your story and even just like how it pertains to Angie, just advocating for yourself, just in, even just in life, like it's so important to be the squeaky wheel and get out there because you never know, you know, sometimes there's someone further down the line that's going to have the answers for you. And that's exactly. so important. <laughs> well, and I believe in using the public. So the public is smarter. Mm -hmm. They have, if you get, so I have groups that work with me on cases. We take cases that nobody else will take and we look at them and then we give the families the information. And it is 100% only to help families. Wow. Have, and you've solved cases through this? So let me tell you what the word solve means. Okay. <laughs> I am not a police officer, mm -hmm. so I cannot go in and arrest somebody. Right. But do I know what happened? Yes. Does my group know what happened? Yes. But we cannot prosecute. We can't do anything except for say to a family, here's what we believe happened. And you could take it to the police or the district attorney and see what happens. So we have a case in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. We're pretty sure we know what happened, but wow. the sheriff is just sitting on it, the coroner just sitting on it. And this mama is pushing, pushing, pushing. And okay, so you might not have the answer to this, but is it just due to their incompetence that they sit on it? So I'll give you my answer. Um, <laughs> my mm -hmm. um, a lot of it is they messed up originally. Mm -hmm. So the original case file, which some of the case files I see are unbelievably poorly written or mm -hmm. poorly documented. Some of it is plain and simple cover up. 
Mm-hmm. And some of it is we just don't want to be bothered. It's a female. Go away. Oh, that makes my blood boil. <laughs> it really does. Wow. So I'm glad that you're out there and you're taking a look at those cases. If listeners are like really moved by Angie's story, is there any places where they can donate? My nonprofit is Without Warning Fight Back and they can buy a t-shirt. Yeah. So they can get a Nashville t-shirt awesome. so they can get something for that. And uh, we're working on, you know, priority-wise, getting the website up is not highly. Sure. But uh, I have t-shirts in all different sizes. And we sell them, you know, so somebody can go and I'll send you the link. Yeah. And you also have a podcast, correct? The Without Warning. Do you have a podcast? We have three seasons. The fourth season I'm working on. So that'll come out. Um, I thought it would come out in May, but it looks like it's more like June. Just because cases now with the courts starting to open up again, I'm slammed. So um, around June, July if things don't go really well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so definitely listeners check that out without warning. It's really great. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to get involved, share stories about this person, or just read more general links about them, you can find that at my website, theirstoriespodcast.com. If you want to be a guest on the cast and talk about a loved one who was murdered, please email theirstoriescast at gmail.com. This has been a presentation of the Wasted Robot Network. For more information on this and other podcasts, visit us on Facebook and Instagram at Wasted Robot Records.